Good morning, everybody. Welcome into 104.3 The Fans Coffee Break. Will Peterson, Rachel V. Hill here with you on this Wednesday. Um, I want to start off the show by, first of all, passing along our condolences to the families that lost lives yesterday in Uvalde, Texas. It hits a little close to home for me because my grandparents, when I was a kid, used to travel down to Uvalde to hang out with friends and um, play cards and such. So when you hear a name that kind of hits so close to home, I really just want to um, shed some light on the situation. And we know it's a tough time in the country right now. We obviously are sending our condolences and love to those families and anyone that knew any of those individuals, um, those kids, those adults too. Um, and hopefully the next 30 minutes can kind of provide a little bit of light and laughter here on Coffee Break this morning. So again, just want to send our condolences as we start off the show. But Will, how are you? Yeah, well said, Rachel. I'm doing all right. Um, but, you know, I think you hit everything. And Excited to spend the, the morning with you here as we uh, – another busy day in Denver sports. And then, of course, a big game tonight as well. A big game. So we actually are going to be talking – we're going to kind of do a little bit of a great debate here. We are going to bring in Richie Carney, who is a producer, executive producer, 104.3 The Fan. So he wrote an interesting article. Richie, first of all, welcome to Coffee Break. How are you? I'm great. It's great to see you. This is fun. I'm excited to make my Coffee Break debut. We're excited to have, you know, Richie, you wrote an article for DenverFan.com about the Cronkies and Tim Connolly. Can you share a little bit as to why or what inspired you to write this article and explain your point to the fans of Coffee Break? I absolutely can. But first, I just want you both to do something with me real quick. Just <sighs> relax. The Nuggets are going to be fine. <laughs> My inspiration for this article was, I feel like we do this sometimes as media members, as fans, uh, when, when somebody of prominence and somebody who is, is important to an organization leaves for you know reasonable or unreasonable reasons, we tend to kind of sensationalize it. And all the sentiment across social media, there seemed to be a very strong uh, kind of forward thinking motion, even from the media, that this is... This is the end of days. This is the Nuggets, the first step towards slipping back to irrelevance and all that. And you know what? Maybe. Maybe it will be. I get, we'll find out. I'm just not of that chicken little mentality that the sky is falling. I think that this happens in sports. I think that you have um, minds and talents that rise to the top of an organization. And when that happens, they're coveted. And in this particular situation, that's an offer that Tim Connolly couldn't have passed up. And I'm not even going to blame the Nuggets, who have fairly, at times, been accused of being cheap and the Cronkies not, you know, putting a financial commitment behind the team that's commensurate to the other teams that they own or that are under their umbrella. And some of that's fair. But with the addition of ownership equity in this case, that's, that's a game changer. That's not something that you as an owner uh, should look to give away really at any point that's your most valuable asset and that's your most uh coveted piece of the franchise and, and and as good as you may have executives and people underneath you it's it's tough for me to just say oh yeah just let's give away a slice of that pie does that make sense it does i would agree 
But could the Cronkies have done more, in your opinion, to keep Tim Connolly, who has built this team up? And I do want to say that some good news that came out this morning was that Nicole Jokic is comfortable with the way that this Nuggets team is going. So there was talk about, like, well, what if he decides he doesn't want to play in Denver? Sounds like Jokic is planning to stay in Denver. So that's some good news. Yeah, absolutely. And I I, I felt that way as well. I think that uh, Nicole Jokic's relationship with Tim Connolly was – um, was strong and had a solid foundation. I think his strongest bond is with Michael Malone, um, who is not going anywhere. So I think that that's pretty influential in the fact that when he is inevitably handed a Supermax contract to sign uh, in the near future, he will do it. And that was another kind of piece that I think people were worried about, and I don't think they have to be. Your question was, could the, could the Cronkies have done more to keep Connolly in-house? In hindsight, I think yes, but I think you can say that about virtually any situation. Could they have locked up Tim Connolly to a bigger deal two years ago? Um, Yeah, sure. They they could have. They didn't have to. Um, And just because they don't have to doesn't mean they should. I am not. I think that you, when you put money in front of someone, be it executive, be it coach, be it player, um, far before or reasonably before you have to, I think you open yourself up for a little bit of risk and liability. And I think that they felt comfortable with the fact that Tim Connolly has built this team already. He drafted Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. And he's brought in big additions like Aaron Gordon and things like that. So I think that they looked at their product and said, Hey, we've got the foundation. We've got, just about everything we need to make this win healthy, a championship contending or at a minimum, a Western conference contending team. And so the, the desire or the need to not only pay an exorbitant amount of money of which Connolly is worth every penny. I think he is worth every penny that he was given by Minnesota. And I don't fault him at all for jumping in on that ownership equity, because it's not a club that's easy to get into in any sport. But I think from the Nuggets perspective, I can reasonably understand them looking at that and saying, we're close. And another set of eyes, a fresh perspective uh, who can come in and inherit this product can reasonably, in our minds, take us over that next step. Identify what we need and go get it because the needs aren't as drastic. And some of the needs, to be frank, and it's not, you know, and I, I... I give a measured criticism of Tim Connolly and say that some of the needs that they still have are needs that they've had for several years now. And, and even Tim Connolly hasn't fully or properly addressed. They don't have a, a solid backup five for Jokic. So they're very small when he's not on the court. And it's part of the reason why he has to play an exorbitant amount of minutes every game. They've dealt with issues, uh, health issues at the point guard position for multiple years now. And their most significant kind of, a solution for that, uh, or Tim Connolly's, I should say, was Faku Campazo, which kind of fell flat on the face. And I won't blame Connolly entirely for that because I feel like that was a pretty big Michael Malone move. But Tim Connolly's fierce loyalty to Michael Malone helped influence that decision. And so, I again, I just think that as good and as profound as his contributions have been, they're going to be okay. This too shall pass, and we'll see. And if I'm wrong, if five years from now they slip back into irrelevance and they're a sub-500 team and, and the, the, the Nikola Jokic is the one shining light in a dark room 
just like it's felt in uh, in the last playoff series, um, then 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 you know what? I'll raise my hand and say I was wrong. But for now, I'm optimistic enough to think that we're going to be okay. Okay. Well, I like it. You know, the thing about these type of conversations that we have is I can be so 100% one way and then somebody can come on here and I can be like, you know what? You're right. You're definitely not wrong. Uh, But can they win without Tim Connolly, right? Can this team bring an NBA finals championship here to Denver? Can, is that even possible? Really? Can Calvin Booth be the guy that can push this team over the ledge? I mean, Okay, so he started with the Nuggets back in 2017, named named the GM in 2020. Like, does he have the experience that's needed to hopefully do that for this team? And, Will, we haven't heard from you in a second, so I'll give that to you. Yeah, I I didn't know if this was a debate or if Richie talked the whole time. So I appreciate uh, being brought in. No, I'm kidding. No, a a few counterpoints to Richie because he had a lot in there. First of all, Richie, in 2013, Masai won Executive of the Year and George Carl won Coach of the Year. And they got rid of them both. Masai bolted for Toronto and they fired George. How did the Brian Shaw era work out? The last time the Nuggets lost a major exec, they stunk. They were terrible. They were a lottery team for three, four, five years in a row before the Taco Bell commercial and Nikola Jokic and Tim Connolly really allowed to put his stamp on this team. If it takes Calvin Booth three, four, five years, we excited about ping pong balls again because they couldn't. Uh, you know, let Tim Connolly sign a new deal uh, a year or two ago, get out in front of something, forward thinking, Stan Josh, you ever heard of it? This guy's going to be a hot commodity. He drafted a back-to-back MVP. Get him locked up a year or two ago before Minnesota even has an option to float the ownership thing in his head. I'm not sitting here saying the Cronkies should have given him a piece. I agree with you on that. But I think it's ridiculous to just give him a free pass of, well, his contract was coming up and Minnesota got creative, so whatever. The last time this team let a big-time exec walk out the door, they sucked for four years. And I, I have a hunch that won't happen again because of a guy named Nikola Jokic, but we know nothing about Calvin Booth, and it took Connolly a long time to build this thing up. And if Calvin Booth gets a similar type leash, then the Nuggets may miss the playoffs a couple times in the next few years while he gets his feet under him. And, and so if we're sitting here telling fans that, you know what, come 2026, the Nuggets are going to be good again, because Connolly got an ownership stake, eh, that's an apology I'm not willing to make for the Cronkies. It's an apples to oranges comparison, though, and I'm glad you brought up 2013 with Masai Ujiri, because they did. They were a 57-win team when Masai Ujiri was there for his last year, and then they fell, and the Brian Shaw era was bad. But Brian Shaw's not in the building anymore. Michael Malone is. So if you think that Michael Malone and Brian Shaw, or I should say Michael Malone without Tim Connolly and Brian Shaw are here to here, then you probably should be worried. I don't think that. I also know that it wasn't just the, fi- the, the, the departure of Masai Ujiri and the firing of George Carl that helped into that. Danilo Gallinari was going through serious health issues. Andre Iguodala jetted that year. So their roster wasn't nearly competitive enough to keep that 57-win total. This roster is competitive. So unless you think that the departure of Tim Connolly is going to lead to the departure of a Nikola Jokic, who's going to be under contract, Jamal Murray, who's under contract, Michael Porter Jr., which that one I actually wouldn't mind. But regardless, <laughs> this is, it's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison in that regard. So, yes, you're right. The last time this happened, things didn't go so well. But there are pieces in place with this team that are way, way, way better than what happened with that team. Now, if those assets are mismanaged, if Calvin Booth 
or whoever, you know, inevitably comes in, you know, down the road, uh, fumbles that, then, then you can have a legitimate argument. But until that happens, you can't judge them prematurely. And I would say that, you know, Rachel, going back to one of your initial questions, uh, I would say Calvin Booth has as much at minimum experience uh, in, in the role that he's being elevated to as Tim Connolly did when Messiah Jiri left. We didn't really know much about Tim Connolly before that. And we learned a lot about him during that process. And you're right. He did. He, he probably got a little lucky with the drafting of Nikola Jokic. It's not a knock on him. Uh, but back-to-back MVPs don't usually get pulled off the board at 41 in the second round during a Taco Bell commercial. But everything post to, uh, Nicole Jokic and Jake Shapiro has alluded to this before. He and I actually went back and forth on Twitter about it. That's Tim Connolly. He brought in Jamal Murray. He traded for Aaron Gordon. He drafted Michael Porter Jr., uh, which was a risky move. Um, and we'll see if it pays off. So everything post Jokic is without a doubt Tim Connolly. And will Calvin Booth be able to replicate that? I don't know. It's a high bar. I'll give you that. But I don't know. So I guess I am just because of where the team is at, who's anchoring their starting five and his relationship with their head coach, who's been a good head coach. I'm not willing to just say, you know what? It's over because Tim Connolly walked out the door for an offer that he should have walked out the door for. And I don't blame the Nuggets in this instance for not matching, at least from an ownership equity standpoint. Money is different. No, I, I agree with you. And I think, I don't think anyone is blaming Tim Connolly for leaving. I think everyone is applauding him for going out there and being a part of the conversation of having some ownership and obviously the contract, like that's a pretty penny to be able to be like, you know, maybe I'll just sit back a little bit and not choose this, but okay. So Calvin Booth takes over, right? Obviously we're going to hear from Josh Kroenke tomorrow. It was supposed to be today. Now it's tomorrow because of some situation with the avalanche and I think ball arena and whatever. So whatever's going on there. But so we're going to hear from Josh Kroenke tomorrow. Why are we hearing from Josh Kroenke tomorrow if they're just completely set on Calvin Booth? That's my question. Like, is it just to be like, hey, like we're aware we're moving in a new direction, that kind of thing? Or is there maybe some questions about what the future of this team can look like once the contracts of Jamal Murray, MPJ, and Jokic are done with? And obviously, we're hoping to re-sign Jokic this offseason to a Supermax deal. They should go into the luxury tax for it. But you see my point of why are we hearing all of a sudden from Josh Kroenke? Well, I think it's it's natural for somebody in Josh's position um, to who's who's not very visible or very vocal the majority of the time to kind of step in and do this because this is a franchise changing move from a structural standpoint, possibly from a philosophical standpoint, because we know that Tim Connolly basically made his his mark in the NBA by choosing to uh, swim against the current of the NBA, which is dominated by super teams and the aligning of superstars and this kind of fluid back and forth where Tim Connolly was very big on homegrown talent, rewarding the people that you bring in drafting and developing. Will that continue under Calvin Booth? Maybe. I mean, he's been working sides by side by side with Tim Connolly this entire time. And it's possible that they're in lockstep in that vision. But I think that's this departure opens up the opportunity for a philosophical change like that. And I'm willing to listen to the argument that, Tim Connolly's philosophy in terms of the fierce loyalty to the drafting and developing strategy and kind of the homegrown small market vibe that Milwaukee has perfected, uh, but that the Nuggets are right there with them. 
uh, has been the reason why they've been as good as they are, but maybe also part of the reason why they haven't quite reached that next step yet. They haven't brought home the hardware. And so in theory, a change in philosophy, somebody who's more willing to be fast and loose with draft picks, to be aggressive in the pursuit, either via trade or free agency, which is probably a little tougher uh, to bring in those stars, the opportunity is there. And so that's something that Josh Kroenke could address if asked uh, in terms of that, or at least what it looks like from his perspective. So even if at a bare minimum, it's just to kind of calm the, 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 the storm a little bit and, and give people an opportunity to, uh, to put their concerns out there and address them, that's what he should do. And I think that's why he's doing it. But if he's going to be up there in front of the microphone, everybody, us included, those of us who are going to go, should be asking those questions. Well, yeah, I mean, Josh Kroenke hasn't talked in years. So this is like a, a big deal that he's finally stepping in front of a microphone. I don't have the exact date, but it's not like Josh Kroenke does yearly end of end of the season press conferences. He owns uh, three teams in Denver. His hockey team practices at a, a you know an arcade uh, where Nathan McKinnon, the best player in the world, has got to get past little Billy with his, his claw going for a stuffed animal. Uh, his basketball team's practice facility is a dump. Uh, it's, I, I got to play in it when I was in high school. It's been a dump for 15 years. They're one of two teams in the NBA that doesn't have a dedicated practice facility. Uh, his soccer team doesn't have a kit sponsor. And oh, by the way, his team's games haven't been on TV for 30 months. So he's got a lot to answer besides just why he let his third executive in the last decade leave. You got Masai running the Raptors. You got Arturis Karnasovas running the Bulls. And you got Tim Connolly running the Timberwolves. Nuggets are looking an awful lot like a stepping stone program right now in the NBA. So, um, I mean, I just highlighted like five things wrong with his company and I could go on and on and on. So it's a rare opportunity, but it's up to the media that attends to press him on things that are not just Tim Connolly related, because that guy's got a lot wrong with his company that a lot of sports fans in this town care about. And if they say, oh, we're only here to answer questions about Tim and Calvin, well, then that's just another misguided step for them because Tim and Calvin is about 5% of the puzzle of what people want to know about right now that's going on over there at, at, at KSC. Is it hard to buy into any of the Cronky sports teams in Denver because it feels like that they're a stepping stone? I don't think it's hard to buy in. Um, I'm an, I've been a Nuggets and an Az fan my whole life, but I'm also in my But 30- you never have faith that they're going to pull out a championship. Like, I think the abs are going to win a Stanley Cup in a month. Listen, I just highlighted everything that's wrong with them. The one thing that's not wrong with them, they're good right now putting talented teams on the hardwood and on the ice. And they got a two-time MVP. They got the two cons, my favorites, and Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr. Like, for all their faults, there's a lot right with the Cronkies product on the ice and they on. They put out winners. What's that? I said they put winners out there. I mean, yeah, like but they said. haven't won yet. We have to keep that in mind. I know we're all very, riding very, very high on this Avalanche team, hopefully doing that, but they haven't won anything yet. Jokic has been saying, like, he doesn't even care about the MVPs because all he wants is to win a championship. They put out perennial contenders. That's probably a fair <laughs> omission. You. I'll change that on my part. Yeah, I mean, we could be in Detroit, right? The Pistons stink, the Red Wings stink, the Lions stink, the Tigers stink. I mean, can you imagine covering major sports in Detroit right now? They have four awful teams. Awful. We're in Denver where two of the big four are owned by the Cronkies, 
and they're both competitive year in and year out. The Broncos, yeah, they've been down, but they've won three Super Bowls. They just went and traded for Russell Wilson and the Rockies, the Rockies, because of Dick Monfort. But would I rather have Stan and Josh Kroenke or Dick Monfort? That shows you how bad Dick Monfort is. I'd rather have Stan and Josh Kroenke because at least their product is competitive despite all their other faults, and they are willing to pay players. Okay, okay, I like it. Well, Richie, thank you for hopping on. Thank you for joining the conversation today. I really appreciate it. You're always welcome back here on Coffee Break. Of course. Anytime you call, I'll be there. This was fun, guys. Richie, got everyone talking. We appreciate it, man. Love it. See you guys later. All right. Well, Andrew Mason was out at Broncos yesterday for day two of OTAs, and he has some words on what he saw yesterday. Andrew Mason here at Broncos headquarters for DenverFan.com and 104.3 The Fan, recapping this day of OTAs. Of course, we didn't see practice, not open to the media until next week, but we did hear after practice from DJ Jones and Cortland Sun and some big picture things from both of them. DJ Jones, defensive lineman, he wants to improve his pass rush. He says he has a goal of five sacks, wants to dominate. Also believes that Nathaniel Hackett, Russell Wilson, they're setting a good tone and changing the culture. No surprise there. Cortland Sutton really talked about Russell Wilson, talked about the standard that Wilson has set. Very high, very much attention to detail oriented. And yes, Cortland Sutton did make the comparison to Peyton Manning. Of course, Sutton wasn't around for Peyton Manning, but he's been with guys like Emmanuel Sanders and the late Demarius Thomas who have. So he understands how Peyton Manning changed this building behind me and he sees Russell Wilson making the same kind of changes in terms of culture and accountability. Nathaniel Hackett contribute, contributing to that as well. But no surprise that Cortland Sutton likes what he sees from Russell Wilson so far. We'll have plenty more on DenverFan.com and 104.3. The fans, Cecil Lamy and Jake Shapiro, we're out here. They'll be writing. I'll be writing as well about both DJ Jones and Cortland Sutton. So stay tuned for that. Thanks for watching. Andrew has done such a phenomenal job. Everybody a Denver fan. So I don't do any of the writing here. I'm obviously all of the video stuff, but you guys do such a great job of providing all the coverage that you need to know about everything in Broncos, Nuggets, Abs, Rapids, all the news. So we'll also a huge shout out to you because I know you're a part of that team too. So we appreciate all the work that you guys do. And again, to Andrew, um, some update though, Jonathan Cooper is undergoing finger surgery, which he hurt on Monday's OTA. So there's a new injury report. We've also got Chris Bryant, who's going back on the 10 day injury list um, due to a lower back strain. So he was called up for this past weekend. Things weren't feeling right. He wants to be 100% or close to 100% when he comes back. But we're excited now because DMAC is live from Ball Arena as we get set for Game 5 here tonight. DMAC, can you hear me? How are you? I'm doing great, Rachel. Will, it's great to see you. Live from uh, Ball Arena where the uh, Blues just finished their morning skate. Okay, well, Avs went at 9.30 this morning. What can you tell us about what you saw down there? Looks like uh, Burakovsky is going to be the odd man out again as he was on the ice after the skate. So Newhook and Jack Johnson will go. Um, and listen, maybe we'll see because Burakovsky was actually part of the second power play unit out here. But Gabriel Landeskog was taking a maintenance day, as was uh, Devin Taves. And they both play on the power play. So I think Burakovsky is, like I said, the odd man out. He was just part of the morning skate here today. Other than that, I wouldn't expect a lot of differences. I wouldn't expect Curtis McDermott, for example, or anything like that. Um, I think the Avs, as Jared Bednar said earlier today, they want to bring the storm. 
not have it brought to them, not survive anything, not worry about whatever St. Louis is going to do. They're going to bring the storm. They're going to play their game. And uh, the environment here for Cadre is going to be over the moon. It's going to be a, a hell of a night here at uh, Ball Arena. Yeah, DMAC, I wanted to ask you, obviously, Cadre is going to get get cheered and, and applauded. And I, I wrote this morning, let's get some Cadre chants going. You know, it's popular to boo an opposing player every time they touch the puck. Well, what about screaming your head off every time Kadri touches the puck? Are there any plans for, for Jared Bednar to start Kadri tonight to try to give him an extra mm. ovation? And what do you expect from the, the Avs to just, you know, really promote Kadri tonight after what he dealt with, with the, the racism and the threats in St. Louis the last few days? Yeah, that's a great thought, Will. Um, I'd love to see it. I know uh, Bednar has started a variety of lines. He doesn't always start the top line. Um, Bednar would not say, but Bednar doesn't say anything. So, you know, you, you, we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and find out. I don't know of any special plans, but I don't know if any special plans are going to be necessary. This uh, Denver crowd is quite aware of the situation, no doubt about it. And I think things will happen organically as soon as they put uh, Nas's face on the Jumbotron. Starting would be cool. I mean, that would be a fun moment, no doubt about it, and they could easily do it. Um, but other than that, I, I don't see anything special. Listen, they've, they've said the same thing time after time after time. It's not about ego. It's about winning. So to a certain degree, maybe that would be a little bit of an ego move too. And that's just not really Bednar's style. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. The crowd will know what's going on. And that's where the intensity will come from. Uh, and the blues, this is it for them. Really? Uh, this is their backs against the proverbial wall, must win game, all that sort of stuff. I don't think they're going to go out quietly, but I don't think they're going to have a choice because the Avs are just a far superior team. And at some point, you've got to generate your own offense. And the Blues just haven't been able to do that. They haven't. DMAC, you were obviously in St. Louis for game four. What was the environment and energy like after the game? Pretty quiet after the game. Uh, you know, well, quiet from the St. Louis point of view. Uh, they announced Kadri as the third star of the game. And he still got booed. And then the organist played, uh, only look at the bright side of life. Probably too much singing for me, but a little Monty Python to lighten the mood for the, uh, you know, hundred or so people that chose to stick around to Brute Cadre as the first star. No, the environment was, listen, as, as raucous as an, uh, an away environment can be, if you dominate your opponent, they limited the, the Blues to three shots on net in the first period, okay? The, the, the excitement of a crowd can only be raised to a fever pitch by the production of a team. It doesn't last forever. So it really wasn't anything crazy or unusual. I mean, opposed to the Nashville fans, at least the St. Louis fans knew there was a hockey game going on in town. So I give them credit for that. Uh, but it wasn't that intimidating. It wasn't that crazy. It was nothing that the Avs haven't faced before. So, but tonight, tonight will be special. DMAC, I know you were there. We obviously got replay after replay on TV, and I'm sure you've seen them on, on social media by now. But were you surprised that Perron only got a $5,000 fine and Bushnevich got nothing? I thought Perron should have been suspended. I thought Bushnevich had a cheap shot, and I thought Perron finished up his dirty work not in a Todd Bertuzzi, Steve Moore type way, but in a completely uncalled for way when Kadri was defenseless. Um, are you surprised David Perron's allowed to play tonight? Uh, well, the Busevich one, you know, there was no penalty. There was no fine. There was, there was nothing. 
And everybody on both sides, you know, at the end of the day said it was a clean hit. Gabriel Landeskog thought there should have been at least like a, a boarding penalty, something like that. So, so that doesn't surprise me. Uh, the Perron one, like if you don't suspend a guy um, for a dangerous hit for that, then what do you suspend a guy for? When a dude is defenseless and you cross-check him on the back while he's laying prone on the ice, I mean, what are we doing here? You know, uh, I get it. We got a five on three and that stuff. But no, I, I think the $5,000 fine was pathetic. That is the max they can give. So the only other thing you can do is a, a suspension. I was stunned that that didn't warrant a suspension. I mean, again, NHL, what are we, what are we allowing here? What, what, are, what are we saying? That that's okay? The, despite all the history going back and forth? I mean, what if Kadri had done that? I mean, he would have been suspended who knows for how long. So, no, I think that was embarrassing, Will, for the NHL. Uh, I think um, Ruby's non-comment about racial, threat, racial threats was completely humiliating and embarrassing for the St. Louis um, team and for the organization. So, you know, not, not a good look on, on several different sides for the NHL, specifically for the Blues. Mm-hmm. We got a comment for you um, from Mel. She said, please ask DMAC, who was the first goalie out on the ice for the Blues today? Um, I, I'm not sure who the first goalie was, but Huso's going to be their goalie. It's, 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 yeah, I mean, Huso's their goalie, uh, period. That's, that's really not a, a topic of debate. Bennington's out for the series. Mm-hmm. Will, you got anything else for DMAC? Yeah, I guess DMAC, final thought. I mean, no one, I mean, this series feels over, right? It feels over. But how desperate are the Avs, not desperate, but how eager are they to not go back to St. Louis? If I was the Avs, I would want to avoid St. Louis game six at all costs. I don't want to go back to that that city. You know, I was going to call it a dump, but I'll be nicer than that. But how desperate are these Avs to just get this thing over with tonight? I don't think desperate's the right word. I think um, Jared Bednar earlier after the skate said, even, even if we win today, um, we're only halfway done with our goal. So I don't think they look at it like that. I, I don't think they look at winning in the second round, the, the final accomplishment. Um, I, from the beginning, the, the Avs really downplayed that second round thing. They really did. I know a lot of Avs fans are, are into it for the right reasons. I get that. But for the Avs, the, the ultimate goal is to win the, the, the championship. So for them, it's just a matter of being, like they said, halfway done. So, I mean, if that were to take an extra game or even an extra two games, I don't think they would be desperate or freaking out or anything like that. The one thing that's been um, tremendous about this team from from training camp until this moment is a sense of balance and um, a goal-driven nature of what really has to be done. So there's no panic here. And there's no panic even if they were to lose the game, which I don't expect tonight. But if they were to lose the game, I wouldn't panic about that whatsoever. No, this is a pretty focused team. I think they're going to beat the Blues tonight, if not tonight, likely on uh, Friday in St. Louis. And if that doesn't happen, then back here at home. I think there's no way you're going to beat the Avalanche three games in a row at this point. And I, I think it ends, frankly, tonight. And there's no sense of panic, nor a desire of relief about this one, too. They're in a good spot, real good spot. DMAC, who would you rather them play in the next round? Well, I hear Calgary is a much cooler city than Edmonton. So I guess Calgary, because people keep telling me Calgary is the Denver of, of Alberta. Um, I just went to the St. Louis of St. Louis, so I don't need that again. So <laughs> I, I guess I prefer Calgary, but I've never been to Calgary or Edmonton. We know how passionate those fan bases are, obviously. Um, so it, it, it kind of doesn't matter to me. 
Um, Hockey-wise, I guess if Calgary can actually, you know, do something special here to extend the series a little bit more. Um, Connor McDavid is arguably the greatest player on earth, and he plays for Edmonton. So I think we should probably root for Calgary because it was just hire everybody out a little bit more emotionally and physically um, and probably just set up an easier chance for the ad. So I'll, I'll, I'll pull for Calgary, uh, but, but either way, I'm ready to get my Alberta on. Well, Divac, we're lucky to have you traveling with this team again. Of course, tonight we're hoping that this blue series ends, but thank you so much for hanging out with us on coffee break from ball arena. Again, make sure you follow DMAC on all of his social media channels. He keeps you updated on everything that you need to know, including all morning skate pressers, everything, like I said, that you need to know. So Will, DMAC, thank you both so much for hanging out with us on coffee break this morning. And Will and I will be on post game live immediately following the game tonight. So make sure you come hang out with us then and we'll see everybody later. Good night or goodbye, everyone.